You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Hopefully you're doing well. We are in part three of our series, Women of the Bible. Uh, the series was started by Rachel Gilligan, who brought an awesome message about Ruth. And then my wife, Larissa, brought an incredible message last week about Mary Magdalene. And this week, we are going to be talking about Sarah. Uh, Sarah is the wife of Abraham, but her story is a roller coaster. And what I love about the story of Sarah is that um, the the specifics don't look the same as our life. It's very unique in that sense. But the fact that there are peaks and there are values and there are good decisions and bad decisions are very, very relatable for us. And so as we walk through the rest of the series, um, this week I get the honor of bringing a message, and the next week Jordan Steingraber is going to bring a message. And and I think it was really important to have women start the message about uh, women of the Bible and highlight these incredible women who, who shaped uh, culture and history and Christianity. Um, but I also think it's really important that men uh, take some time to highlight women as well and give them uh, what is due to them. So really excited to bring this message this week. So couple facts about Sarah before we jump into the meat of the message is that yes, she's married to Abraham. Yes, she's very broken and very human, but she's also referenced as a hero of the faith in Hebrews. We'll get to that later. Sarah's story is uh, in Genesis is a roller coaster. It truly, truly is. Um, and we're going to look through the highs and the lows of Sarah's story, but this week I want to do something a little bit different. I want to walk through the majority of Sarah's story And then after we're done walking through her story, I want to go back and backtrack and pull out some key points or or, um, key moments that we can apply to our lives today. So we're going to do some scripture reference. We're going to allow me, hopefully you'll allow me to uh, paraphrase a little bit on, on the story of what's happening. So chapter 12 of Genesis is where the story of Genesis, or sorry, the story of Sarah starts. And really, it doesn't have anything to do with her. It's God calling Abraham to bring his family and his people out of his homeland and start on this journey of becoming the nation of Israel. And at this point, Genesis chapter 12, Abraham and Sarah are already married. So we don't necessarily know how they met. We don't know um, the, the specifics of any of these things, we just know that Sarah and Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 are already married. Chapter 12, same chapter, there's a famine and Abraham and Sarah take their people and they move through the land of Egypt and uh, they run into Pharaoh and Pharaoh is like, dang, Sarah is beautiful. In fact, some of his uh, attendants, they say, hey, this woman who's coming through our land, she is beautiful. Pharaoh calls for her. Um, Abraham, in fear of losing his life and losing everything that he has, hands Sarah over to Pharaoh and says, this is my sister. You can have her. (laughs) And through a course of a couple different things, Pharaoh finds out that it's not, in fact, Abraham's sister. It's his wife. And he gives... um, slaves and oxen and different things to receive Sarah. And then when they, when he sends them away, he allows them to keep those things. So Genesis chapter 12, we already see the broken and brokenness and fallibility of Abraham giving Sarah away to Pharaoh. And yet somehow through that instance, they leave with more than they came with. God is working on behalf of his people. A couple chapters later in chapter 15, we see the Abrahamic covenant where God takes Abraham out into a field and he says, look at the stars in the sky. 
look how numerous, excuse me, the look how numerous the stars in the sky are. Your people are going to be like that. Like you won't even be able to count how many people are coming from your offspring. And and uh, Abraham's really confused because he's like, I don't have any kids. I don't know how this is going to happen. And God makes a promise that he will have offspring and he will have people that are going to build a nation that come from his lineage. And in chapter 16, we find Sarah, who is still childless in her old age, going to Abraham and saying, hey, you know those slaves that were sent with us out of Egypt? Well, one of my slaves, Hagar, I want you to go sleep with her. And I want you to have a kid with her. And maybe I'll be able to build a family through Hagar. So so Sarah, quote unquote, convinces Abraham, hey, this young slave of mine, will you go sleep with her? And Abraham's like, oh, I guess if I have to. And he goes and he sleeps with this woman. And in Genesis chapter 16, verse 1 through 6, we see this interaction. So we're going to see Abram and Sarai, but this is Abraham and Sarah. So Abram's wife, Sarai, had not been born any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abraham, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her, I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai Sarai said. So Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan ten years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Then Sarai said to Abram, "'You are responsible for my suffering.' I put my slave in your arms, and when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarai, Here your slave is in your power. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. This could be an entirely different story. We could talk about how God meets Hagar in the in the desert, and she calls him the God who sees her. Like it's a whole nother a whole nother thing. But what what I want to focus on in this interaction is that Sarai or Sarah makes a poor decision convinces her husband to take a new wife to get her pregnant and then is frustrated at the results and it just it shows the the fallibility of human relationships the brokenness of human relationships where we start to see why bad decisions lead to bad results and there's just so much um mess in the middle of this so the next chapter chapter 17 god comes back to abraham And he promises a son through Sarah specifically. Verses 15 through 16 say, God said to Abraham, As your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai anymore, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. So he promises a son through Sarah specifically. Then the next chapter, chapter 18, we see this really interesting passage where three visitors come to talk to Abraham. Now, if you read commentaries, there are a couple different opinions, but most people would, would say that this is a representation of God or God himself and then maybe a couple archangels and possibly a, a couple angels that, that we see in Sodom and Gomorrah who bring warning to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's kind of beside the point. What's really important here is that through this interaction between Abraham and God, we see this really uh, human response from Sarah as she's listening to the conversation that is happening between Abraham and these three visitors. So where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, Abraham answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. 
Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, so she laughed to herself. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, no, you did laugh. I love scripture. I love scripture. Like, no, you laughed. And then it's just the end of that passage. But what happens in this moment is that Sarah laughs in disbelief at the thought of having a child. She is old and she's like, there's no way. There's no way that I'm going to have a baby that's old. Even after the Lord is like, I will come back to you in about a year's time. Twice he says it. I'll come back to you in a year's time. Sarah will have a son. She laughs and he says, by the way, I'm coming back in a year. And by that time, Sarah will have a son. And what happens in chapter 20? The promise has been made. The promise has been made clear. They're moving through another land. There's a king named Abimelech. Abraham's afraid. And he gives Sarah away. Abimelech Abimelech says, who is this? And he goes, this is my sister. (laughs) And so he gives his sister, his quote unquote sister, to Abimelech. Again, just like Pharaoh, he finds out that that Sarah is actually Abraham's wife, sends them on their way. They get out scots-free. But Sarah is given away by her husband again. Safe to say there's trauma involved here. The Sarah, the man that she loves, gives her away twice to other men because he's afraid and because he is worried about protecting his own life. And then after that happens, God is still faithful. In chapter 21 of Genesis says this, the Lord came to Sarah as he had said, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the appointed time, God had told him, Abraham named his son who was born to him, the son Sarah bore to him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. And the answer to that question is God. God would have told Abraham, and God would have told Sarah that she would nurse children. So that's the story of Sarah. We see that. That's not the full story, but what we see from the story of Sarah and of Abraham is that God is a promise keeper and that the nation of Israel is born out of these two very broken, very messy human beings. But yet, in the scriptures, Abraham has faith credited to him as righteousness. In the scriptures, Sarah has faith credited to her. So I want to walk through some different things and how we can apply them to our own lives. The first point this week is this, is that Sarah experienced hurt. Sarah experienced hurt. She was given away. She was given away twice. That hurts. She was childless for decades and decades and decades when she desperately wanted something. And even after a promise had been made, she had lived with the promise intention. And there was hurt from the fact that she hadn't received what she wanted yet. So there's pain in Sarah's life. And we've all experienced hurt too, right? A part of the brokenness of this world is that we are not always in control of what is being done to us. Abraham's fear led to something being done to Sarah. And that was not her fault. For some of us, we're listening and we need to hear this. That wasn't your fault. That wasn't your fault. Larissa talked about this last week and I think it was good, so good that, that we need to say it again. Is that sometimes we carry hurt and shame for things that have been done to us. 
We didn't do it. We didn't cause the hurt in those moments. We have been hurt, and we carry shame with those things. And Sarah's identity is not defined by what is done to her. Sometimes we use shame as something that starts to identify who we are in relation to others and who we are in relation to, to God. And Sarah's identity is not defined by what has been done to her, but it will absolutely play a part in how she views people and how she views God and how we see her view the promises of God. Scripture is full of verses that instill hope because God and the authors of Scripture knew that people would need hope in the midst of pain. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, one of my favorites, says, The God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. That in the midst of the inevitable suffering, God will restore, he will establish, he will strengthen, and he will support us. We all wish that, pain, that life was pain-free, but we also simultaneously know that it's not. But we serve a God who will restore and strengthen us. When we do the hard work of moving past the pain and the trauma that has been caused in our lives, we move closer to a relationship with Jesus. That we don't allow that to become a barrier. So we have to identify that we have been hurt. And that hurt does not have to keep us further from God. In fact, it should drive us closer to him. So Sarah experienced hurt. The second point this week is that Sarah caused hurt. It's easy for us to admit that we've experienced pain, right? Like we say like, hey, we've all experienced pain. We all nod our heads and say, yes, we've experienced pain. It's sometimes less easy to admit that we have caused pain ourselves. I don't think I've caused anybody pain, but we all are imperfect. We're all human. We've all caused pain in one way or another. Uh, I think about something that happened to me a couple years ago. I had somebody ask me if uh, I would grab coffee with them. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Let's grab coffee. And so we met and he, um, you know, we just talked and, and, caught up on life, how he was doing, how I was doing. And then he said, Hey, I just, I need to let you know, like this thing that you said to me was very, very painful. And I didn't know that you thought of me that way. Well, something that if you know me, um, you know that I am incredibly sarcastic and what I said to him was said in, was said in sarcasm with, with extreme sarcasm, but he took it very seriously. One of the biggest problems was that he carried it for months before he asked me to have coffee. So for months, he carried a perception that I thought of him in a very specific way. And that was my fault. I caused pain in his life. And when, when he said that, I was like, I can completely understand why you would have received it that way. And so I had caused pain in his life. And it wasn't on purpose, but I had caused pain. We all have caused pain in the lives of other people. Our own perfection has caused pain. And our own imperfection has caused pain in our own lives too. See, for Sarah, some of the pain she caused to others and to herself was a result of taking things into her own hands. And oftentimes when we don't surrender to Jesus and we try to do things on our own, we cause pain to the people around us and we cause pain to ourselves as well. I think one of the craziest things about following God is that whole thing called free will. That we don't serve a God who wants robots or, or who's going to tell us and, and make us make all those exact decisions that we're supposed to make and all those different things. And in fact, he, he doesn't do that. He's a very hands-off in the fact that he asks for us to surrender our lives. But even in the midst of surrender, we have to make intentional decisions day after day to become the people that God has called us to be. But he's not controlling us. He's not a puppet master. He gives us free will. And in the midst of the free will, unfortunately, that will lead to making poor decisions. Sarah makes poor decisions, and her poor decisions were partially rooted in this truth, is that Sarah struggled with impatience, and she struggled with disbelief. She struggled with impatience and disbelief. Not us, though, right? 
Like we're all very patient. We always have, have perfect faith. Like, no, we, we struggle with the exact same things. Our faith can become shallow and it can be tied to our own time frame. God, if you don't do this, I'm going to lose faith. If you don't do it in this time frame, I'm going to lose faith. Sarah's hesitations were pretty understandable though, right? Not a lot of people having babies in their 90s, not even in biblical times, right? So she looks at her situation and and her practical outcome or practical thought process through this is something that we can fully understand. But that was the primary issue is that her eyes were focused on her and Abraham and their humanity, not on God's divinity and holiness. She was focused on Abraham and herself and not on God. Her eyes were focused on her circumstance instead of her creator. And we do that all of the time too, don't we? We focus on what's going on in our own life instead of what God's trying to do. We focus on our circumstance instead of our creator. We, our eyes are focused on what makes sense for us instead of the God who, who blows all of the making sense out of the water, right? Like The boxes that we try to put God in get blown up all the time, but we often find ourselves stuck in our perception of what we think is expected, what we think is, what we think makes sense, what, what adds up. But God is not in the business of just making sense. God is in the business of blowing our expectations out of the water that he would do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And listen, I'm not saying that we have to throw away all practicality in our lives, but what I am saying is that we have to leave room for God to be God. We ha- we have to participate, we have to make good decisions, we have to do all of those things, but we also have to say, "Hey, what makes sense in this situation is this, and yet I think God could do so much more than that." And I'm going to do the things that make sense, but I'm going to expect God to do the things that don't. That he would use messy broken people time and time again to make things happen that we couldn't didn't think was possible. That he will miraculously show up in this situation, etc., etc., etc. Philippians chapter one, verse six says this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It might not happen the way we expect it, but God is a promise keeper. We have to ask ourselves the question, do we believe that? I think we all like to be in control. We all like to fully understand what is going on, but life is too big and God is definitely too grand for us to always have a perfect picture of what is going on. A few years ago, um, I was going through it. I was questioning my calling. I was questioning my career. I was questioning some friendships and I was just, I was super frustrated and I was, I'm, I'm recording this podcast in the same office that I did this. Um, it's like the most millennial thing in the world, but I literally was just so frustrated and I was like typing away on my computer and I literally got on Google and I just said, why don't I understand what God is doing? Like I Googled that. <laughs> like, why don't I understand why God's like, that God's going to answer me through the computer. Like, I have no idea why that was my thing. Like even simultaneously as I'm doing, it, I'm like, what am I doing right now? Like, why am I doing this? And I started to just like scroll this page and I was like, not even looking at it. I was just in a funk and in a cloud and in confusion. And, and I stopped scrolling. And the first thing that I see is a quote by a woman named Evelyn Underhill. And it said said this, it said, if God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. If God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. We are not always going to have a perfect picture, but we're always going to have a perfect God. So we're not always going to fully understand, but we can always step into worship of the God who is perfect and who does understand and who holds us in his hands. If God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshiped. 
would we understand that we're not going to have the perfect picture, but we always have a perfect God? There is an interaction a couple thousand years later after Sarah between Peter and Jesus. And this is the moment where Jesus is trying to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter's like, no, dude, like, forget that. Like, you are not washing my, my, my feet. You're the Messiah. You're not washing my feet. And he's just in tension with Jesus, which is just like beautiful and also like so dumb. But Peter was really bullheaded and he's like, no, I'm not going to let you, Jesus. And it's like, hey, man, it's Jesus. Like, why don't you let him do what he wants to do? But anyway, Peter's like, you are not going to wash my feet. And and Jesus' response in John chapter 13 is so beautiful. And I think that it's something that we need to, to, to put into practice in our own lives as we think about our own, own situations. It's, Jesus answers Peter. He says, what I'm doing, you don't realize now. But afterward, you will understand. So simple. What I'm doing, you don't understand. What I'm doing right now, you don't you don't realize. But afterwards, you're going to understand. And I think that that is what we have to do, is that we might not get why life is happening the way it is right now, but someday we will. We'll be on the other side of this. And, then, and God will be like, you're not, you just don't, you don't understand what I'm doing right now. But you will. You will. We just have to trust that God can and will use our situations. That even in the midst of the struggle, even in the midst of the tribulation, even in the midst of the successes and, and the mountaintops and all of those different things, that we would understand that God can and will use those areas of our lives. But that takes patience and that takes faith. And a faith in who he is, not who we are. A faith in who he is, not what our circumstances are. God, this is really important. God is more concerned about accomplishing his purposes than our plans. God will accomplish his purposes, not our plans. Sometimes our plans and his purposes will line up and sometimes they won't. What we have to understand is that we should be people who are desperately crying out to God to fulfill his purposes in our life, not our plans for our own. One of the things that I love about the story of Sarah is that despite her imperfection, despite the parts of brokenness, God is gentle. He's so gentle. He doesn't condemn Sarah. He doesn't decide to use somebody else. He doesn't say, hey, you had you had Abraham sleep with, with this woman over here. In fact, I'm going to take you completely out of the story. I'm just going to replace you with this woman. No, he is faithful through all of the different relationships because God is gentle because he knows his people are imperfect. He keeps his promises and he turns her laughter of disbelief in the beginning of the story into a laughter of of joy in Genesis chapter one, we'll just look at verse six again. It just simply says this. It says, Sarah said, God has made me laugh and everyone who hears me will laugh with me. So she laughs in disbelief that God would promise that she's going to have a child. But then when she does, God has made me laugh and everyone who hears will laugh with me. He takes her laughter of disbelief and turns it into laughter of joy. He was gentle with her. We must know that if he's willing to be gentle with her, why wouldn't he be gentle with us too? He's not perpetually disappointed in plotting how he's going to take us down. He's consistently trying to lift us up. We've touched on this a couple times over the last few months, but let's hit it again. Our, our perception of God will continually affect how we believe that he perceives us. Our perception of God matters for so many different reasons. If we believe that God is angry, we're going to live our lives different. But also, if we believe that God is angry, then what we believe about the way he sees us is completely changed. If we think that God is angry then we think that he's angry, not just in general, but at us. We think that his perception of us is that we are broken and messy and terrible and failures, and that's all that we are. But when we look at scripture, when we look at the way that God interacts with his people, we also understand that God is gentle and he is all, all about restoring and redeeming and calling us beloved and calling us his children. He is gentle. We know that God is gentle with Sarah, not only because of what he does in her story and the promises that he keeps, but in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, 
it actually lists Sarah as a hero of the faith. It says, by faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age. This is the important part. Since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Since she had considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Here's what I love about the story of Sarah. This is what I love about scripture is that Sarah had questions and Sarah had disbelief. She had a whole lot of questions and a whole lot of doubts about the promises that were being made, but never about the one who made the promises. See, she got practical and she's like, how am I supposed to have a kid in my old age? But she still had faith that God was God. So she had questions and she had doubts about the promises, but never about the promise maker. Sometimes our humanity is going to create confusion in us, but would we use that to press back into the one who can ultimately bring clarity to the confusion, who can bring comfort in the midst of the confusion? He's not just a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. And in the midst of the roller coaster that is our human lives, he will always be faithful. He will take our laughter of disbelief. He will turn it into laughter of joy. He will take the hurt that we've experienced and he will use it. He will take the hurt that we have caused others and he will use it because he is faithful time and time and time again. God has proven himself faithful. And if he was faithful to people like Abraham and Sarah, why wouldn't he be faithful to us? Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.